0: Do you ever feel like you are just not enough? That you don't have what it takes to lead, to go into that fundraising conversation, to have that difficult conversation? Do you ever feel like, you know, maybe you're not smart enough, you don't have the right experience, you haven't taken the right training? Ah, we all have experienced not enoughness and it leads to feeling incompetent, lacking confidence, imposter syndrome and holding ourselves back from being our authentic and powerful selves. In today's podcast, you are going to hear from Mallory Erickson and her and I are gonna banter back some ideas around how to overcome not enoughness. Welcome to the Surviving to Thriving podcast that helps women leaders in nonprofits get out of survival mode and thrive in both leadership and life. I'm your host, leadership development coach, Kathy Archer, And I help women leaders enjoy impactful leadership. Mallory Erickson is the fundraising coach for passionate leaders making a big social impact. Through her groundbreaking Power Partner System, Mallory uses unique tools to help nonprofits fundraise more. Without hounding people for money. Doesn't that sound good? Aren't you tired of hounding people for money? In the past seven years, Mallory has raised or coached her clients to raise over $23 million with five to $500,000 gifts from more than 12,000 donors. Mallory's blend of executive coaching and fundraising consulting transforms her clients into powerful and authentic fundraisers. I could go on and on about Mallory and you will notice in this podcast episode that her and I could have went on and on. Before I drag this out any longer, let's just turn it over to Mallory and hear about how we can overcome not enoughness. So Mallory, before we get in there, because I know we're so excited to talk about our topic, tell everybody a little bit about yourself, how you got to where you are. Start wherever you want.
1: Thank you. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here with you too, Kathy, and talking about a topic that I know is so near and dear to both of our hearts. Um, So, I have been in the nonprofit sector for my entire career. I've been fundraising specifically for 13 of them. Um, And I've sort of done every job under the nonprofit umbrella, I sort of joke other than tech, you know, but I've been a program director, managing director, executive director. um, And in all of those roles, had different fundraising expectations. But if you would asked me when I was an executive director what my least favorite part of my job was. I would have, without a doubt, said fundraising. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, you know that was really because I was sort of sent through all of the standard trainings that we all we all know so yeah. well around fundraising, but none of them addressed this underlying discomfort that I felt about asking for money, which ties so so directly into what we're talking about today. This idea of not enoughness. Yeah. Um and when I and then I went through an executive coach training program which was not at the at the time related to fundraising but became familiar with discovered and invented honestly a lot of tools that I started to apply to my own fundraising efforts and everything changed. I mean not only did I blow my previous fundraising out of the water but I started to really enjoy fundraising because so, so much shift, my approach shifted, my mindset shifted, how I felt about it shifted. Um, and when I started to talk to other fundraisers, particularly women fundraisers, about what I was learning and and um, some of the tools I was using, I just kept hearing from person after person, oh my God, I need that. Oh my God, I need that. Um, and so I, I launched my company really to support fundraisers to fundraise authentically, embodied, um, and I have a program called the Power Partners Formula, which is all about teaching people how to fundraise in a way that not only raises more money, but doesn't involve hounding donors or <laughs> all of those sort of uncomfortable car salesman strategies that we're taught in the old school fundraising way. Um, and I'm just so proud to watch my clients, you know, surpass their expectations, even even, even during COVID, and just have fun doing it and feel really empowered and excited about the work that they're doing.
0: So that's what brings me here today. Okay, so there's so many things I want to highlight there. But one of the big ones was that you started to enjoy fundraising. And, you know, I talk about the things that I teach help women enjoy impactful leadership. And I want to make a difference. And I know that the women in this, this world want to make a difference. They're not in these these jobs to get rich they got in because they have some you know deep purpose or or you know fulfillment role and then all of a sudden it gets icky and it gets hard and they get overworked and overwhelmed and they lose that passion mm-hmm. and that's not fun anymore and so if we can you know the work I do the work you do the work so many other people do shift that to make them enjoy what they're doing, what a difference it makes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So we're going to talk today about overcoming not enoughness. So we both very personally know what this means, but tell our listeners how we define over that not enoughness part. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, when I think about not enoughness, I think about this sort of underlying ache that exists in all of us and um, that, you know, where it comes from, we could probably have a whole other episode talking about that, but that, that makes us feel this constant sense of, not feeling blank enough or sometimes just enough, right not pretty enough, not skinny enough, not smart enough, not perfect enough, right and we are surrounded by a society that in a lot of ways indulges those beliefs and we internalize them and they sit beneath so much of how we um, view the world, how much we interact with the world um, and and, it is, and the way that it manifests is an unfillable way, right? Like it, it manifests in a way that where there is no actual solution to it. Um, right. And that's why I call it this ache that I think we all we all have.
0: Yeah. And the other version of that for me was I don't have enough education. I'm mm-hmm. not old enough. I don't have enough experience. I don't fit in. I don't belong. I don't know enough about X, Y, Z, you know, I mean, whatever you want to talk about everything from, I remember when I got hired at, into the leadership position and my boss said to me, you know, what do you know about budgets and accounting and spreadsheets and financial reports? And I'm like, I can balance my checkbook. <laughs> you know, that's all I knew. And so that, I mean, the fact that I still remember that question obviously means that there was an undercurrent there where I didn't feel I had enough financial experience, knowledge, capacity, and that carried forward.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can so relate to all of that.
0: Okay, so Mallory and I played around before we're doing today's interview, and we came up with some stuff that Mallory's going to cover. So I'm just gonna let you dive into sort of the next thing we want to talk about. That sounds great. So, um, you know, one of the
1: things I'll sort of just start with like what how does not enoughness impact your success as a fundraiser? So like the first thing is just, you know, as Kathy was sort of mentioning, this idea of not enoughness, not enoughness really filters into every aspect of our lives, right? It shows up in all the ways that we show up as leaders. It is triggered specifically by fundraising. Because fundraising is such a vulnerable thing, right? Like money is always vulnerable, but fundraising in its, you know, in what it is involves what we perceive as rejection. It involves, you know, this constant sort of cycle of of what feels like defeat and feels like failure, um, because it's a numbers game, right? And you should be getting a lot of no's as a fundraiser. To me, I I think I said this to you when we first talked, like, that's the best sign. Like, I don't care how many yeses, I don't ask my clients how many yeses they got. I want to know how many no's they got. That tells me how they're pushing. That tells me that they're going outside their comfort zone. That, to me, is a sign of of a good fundraiser. But that means then that you're going to come face to face with these feelings of not enoughness. And even some of my clients who feel like they've worked through this mindset stuff before around not enoughness, then they start fundraising and they're like, gosh, it's all coming back. Like, I don't know how to deal with it in this setting. Right. So, you know, it, it, and then because we feel it, it totally impacts how we show up as a fundraiser because then we sit down at these tables with donors and we have this perception of the situation that I'm in in the position of scarcity, the other person's in the position of power. And then we start this cycle of kind of what feels like gross, uncomfortable, inauthentic fundraising, right? But it's all coming from that place of scarcity and not enoughness and there actually is a completely different way to fundraise, you know, one that's empowered and embodied. And, um, but, but you have to deal with this with this underlying theme that's coming up for you.
0: Yeah, and one of the things that I often talk to my clients about is when you come into a conversation like that and you're lacking that confidence, your body posture shows it. Mm-hmm. And not only is your body speaking to the other person in the room, It's sending signals to your own body that says, I'm scared, this isn't safe. And yeah, your brain goes into sort of stress mode Mm -hmm. rather than, you know, like you were talking about empowered conversations. Well, to have those kind of conversations, you need to be relaxed, you need to have your shoulders back, you need to feel confident. And if your brain is just going, oh my God, this is not going to go well it ain't going to work so good.
1: Mm -hmm. Right. The amount of times I hear my clients say, what if they don't like me? What if they're mad that I asked? What if they don't think I waited till the right time? What if they, you know, all this stuff. And that's just all the ways that this, that this manifests um, in fundraising, as in so many other things that hold us back from doing the work that's going to move us forward, the work that feels good. And like you're saying, like, it's just the cycle of like, body language and you know, all these things that then keep us small and keep us disempowered.
0: So why do people feel this not enoughness?
1: So there are four, I mean, there. I think there are four things that I like to focus on when it comes to this. So the four sort of categories that I focus on are the suppressing emotions, expectations, negative self-talk. And overdrive or burnout. Those are kind of the four categories that I work with my clients around.
0: So let's start with suppressing emotions.
1: Yeah. So, you know, one of the, I really think that suppressing emotions, first of all, it's one of the easiest ones to solve for, right? So we feel the reason why suppressing emotions leads to this sort of cycle of not enoughness is because when we're suppressing emotions, it's because we've tied it to a belief and a thought that our emotions are not valid enough to talk about, right? We shouldn't feel that way. um, And we should be able to, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I particularly hear this from fundraisers who've been fundraising for 10 years, right? They're like, I shouldn't be uncomfortable anymore. So like, I'm never going to talk about it. Um, Right. But I came to terms with it after 13 years of fundraising. So it's like, I don't care how long you've been fundraising. Nobody's given you space to talk about this before. So here's the space. (laughs) Um, So, you know, that the first thing is just starting to talk about it, talking about it.
0: Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. When you say talk about it, talk about it to who?
1: So I think there are different layers of this. You know, in the best case scenario, I want you talking about this in your work. I want you talking about it with your boss. I want you talking about it with your board and asking them what makes them uncomfortable about fundraising. I want this to be infused in everything that you do. Like when you're planning a peer-to-peer campaign, I want you talking about, okay, what feels uncomfortable about this? What's going to feel uncomfortable about this for our peer-to-peer fundraisers? How do we talk them through it? You know, I want it in every part of your organizational culture and language.
0: And People I know. are just cringing now. They're going, oh, I know. My God, now I know. But here's the thing it's only cringeworthy the first
1: time. Your fear of having this conversation is so much worse than having this conversation because I will tell you, everyone, the moment you say it, is going to say, oh, me too. Yeah. Everyone, everyone. And they're just waiting for someone to say it, right? And if they don't say it, It's because of other leadership issues, but you, but I will tell you right now, I've worked with every leader across the board. I have never, ever seen someone this is not true for. So
0: this, this comes back to the not enoughness, because if I'm the only one who feels this way, I'm not enough. But when I talk about it and I realize this is a normal experience, oh, are we all not enough? Heck no
1: exactly 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 so it also it validates our feelings it makes us feel that sense of community and it just stops the internal cycle right this piece relates directly to the self-talk piece because when we're suppressing our emotions the only place for those emotions to go are in a thought loop thought belief loop in our head right so we have
0: to let them out so one of the things that that You know, if you look at the literature about effective leadership and, you know, all of this kind of stuff, they're always talking about emotional intelligence, Mm -hmm. but they don't tell you how to develop emotional intelligence or how it actually shows up. And so when you start to, what Daniel Goleman says is name it to tame it. When -hmm. you start to name these feelings and when you start to talk about it in your organization, you become an emotionally intelligent person and you create that emotional intelligence culture in your organization. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I do in my training library is I teach emotional literacy because uncomfortable is one word, but what if it's awkward? Or what if it is, you know, maybe they just, it's icky. Or maybe they feel hesitant. Like, I know I'm supposed to say this, but I still feel hesitant. What's that about? And so when you start to, sort of um, take those overarching emotions and you fine tune them, then you can really nail it as to what's going on. And you, you identified triggers earlier. Mm-hmm. And I know we're going to get into the, the, the whole thoughts in your head. We'll do that in a minute. But yeah, I just, I just want to make sure that people understand. We learn these words, emotional intelligence, or you need to, you know, have confidence, but what does it look like? How do you actually get to that level?
1: And what I love about what you do, Kathy, and that I think, you know, this is sort of what you're, you're saying here too, is like that so many things can feel similarly. And if we make the assumption that our language matches maybe without, without having that deeper conversation or that emotional literacy education, then, then we are actually kind of like missing the mark on certain things like, even I hear a lot from clients, like, I had this gut feeling about blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, was that a gut feeling or was that fear? And they're like, I actually don't know. They feel really similar. Yeah. Yeah. And they totally do. Right. And so this is all part of this, like, so does excitement. Yes.
0: So that's the fun. And so does, you know, when you're hungry or have to go to the bathroom, it's (laughs) like, they're all in your stomach. And if you don't tune into that, it's like, yeah, maybe I'm excited about having this fundraising conversation. Yeah, there's some hesitation, and I'm a little bit nervous. And I'm also excited. And it's okay to have both emotions at the same time. Totally. I love that. All right, let's move on to
1: the next one. Okay, so the next one is expectations. So the, you know, one of the things that like comes up so much with not enoughness is this idea of perfectionism and I know you deal you talk about this a lot too and this is so infused in your work also Um, and the thing I say about perfectionism in fundraising, a lot is that you know, perfectionism is dangerous for a lot of reasons. It's dangerous because it holds us back from action, it's dangerous because it makes us feel constant anxiety and stress. And it's dangerous because it's a total illusion, yeah. right? So it's an it, it and so because of that, because Because perfectionism is an illusion, the thing that it's in direct conflict with is actually the most important thing as a fundraiser, which is authenticity. So so you are constantly going to be banging your head against the wall if your fundraising energy is going towards making sure your pitch deck is perfect and that you're <laughs> going to you're going to show up to this meeting perfect and you know all these things you're never going to say a wrong thing whatever that means to a donor that's performance fundraising i don't do performance fundraising right like i want you to build authentic real connections with your donors cuz that's where sustainable powerful you know, seven, six, seven, eight figure gifts come from, not from performance fundraising. And so that's all about being authentic. And that and that means that you have to join me in the Recovering Perfectionist Club.
0: <laughs> so what I just want to say about that is is not connected to fundraising. But so I'm a Toastmaster. And mm-hmm. one of the things that, you know, in Toastmasters, which is to help you develop public speaking and leadership skills, is competitions. And and as they go up the level of competitions and become world-class speakers, one of the conversations I've had with many of my fellow Toastmasters is they're not speaking, they're performing. Mm. And when you look at someone who's actually speaking from their heart, authentic speaking, I think of two big people, Brene Brown and Simon Sinek, they will both say, um, they both scratch their head in the middle. They're not performing. Mm-hmm. They're speaking from their heart. And that's why we love them.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Totally. We can feel it, right? Like we can feel it, we can see it, we can hear it. And we pretend, maybe that's not the right word, but like we, 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 talk ourselves out of that truth when we're fundraising. We're like, my donor wants me to see, you know, my donor wants to see blank, but that is not true. You want to do blank because that protects you from making a, what you consider to be a mistake which feeds into this not enoughness gremlin right this is just this cycle um so you know one of the things that i ask my clients to do all the time is remember that they're constantly making a choice between being perfect and being authentic and we know which one leads to good fundraising So that, that's my sort of strategy around perfectionism is to just know and expect that like, you're going to have the desire for perfectionism. We all have the desire for perfectionism. So it's just about recognizing like perfect or authentic, perfect or authentic, perfect or authentic. I have this strategy in my power partners um, course called five and dive, because one of the things I see in fundraising a lot is endless prospecting endless prospecting. And they're like, I need to have the perfect prospect list and I need to have the perfect contact management system and I need to know the perfect order of donors to outreach to. And I'm like, no, this is your way to avoid doing the scarier thing, which is actually outreaching to the donors, but this is based in not enoughness. This is based in perfectionism and it's just your biggest barrier. So we do five and dive five prospects, go five prospects, go five prospects, go because you need to stay in action. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think, you know, perfectionism is all about like finding sort of the action antidote and tapping, tapping into that authenticity.
0: And that's the other thing. I love what you just said there about you need to stay in action so that, you know, uh, an object in motion stays in motion, an object at rest stays at rest. When you stop, you lose the momentum, and it's a lot harder to get back in and move past that fear Mm. if you you don't keep going. So there is no framework, perfect framework for what fundraising looks like. There's no perfect formula. There's no perfect fundraiser. There is authenticity.
1: Yeah, and yes, and that is actually like you know, Power Partners is built around that actually guiding you through your authentic fundraising. So, so I kind of do think it's a perfect formula because <laughs> I'm not perfect. perfect. You. Yeah, yeah, because it's all about because I'm just not a big fan of like here's the thing, here's the template email for right. everyone, here's the thing. You know, it's like no, you need to tap into you know, I guide them through kind of all these different activities to tap into the authentic components of them and their organization and then design around those things. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. We could talk about this forever. Next one. (laughs) So
1: the next one is, you know, self-talk and, um, and doubt and hesitation and these obviously relate so much to expectations and to suppressing emotions and you know this is the the idea you know people say to me all the time when i talk about self talk especially the younger crowds they're like you're going to talk to us about talking to ourselves and i'm like you are talking to yourselves
0: all the time all the
1: time whether you realize it or not so realize it cuz you are actually, not very nice talk no you are being so mean you would never talk that way to a friend. You would never talk that way to someone that you love, right? We are so hard on ourselves. And so one thing is just to say, and you, you know, negative self-talk is so normal, right? Yeah. So again, this is like one of the things, especially when you're pushing a boundary, like whether it's a leadership boundary or a fundraising boundary, like get ready, get ready for that voice to come. And so that's something I say to my clients all the time is like, that is a good sign. Like, tell me about your self-critic voice. Tell me about your gremlin voice. That means we're right on the edge, you know? And I say that to myself too when I'm doing something new. Like, okay, you're scared. You hear that self-doubt. Good sign, good sign, good sign. Um, And that's that's one way that I personally even overcome it. And, you know, another thing that I do around the self-talk piece is like when I find myself in some of those patterns or my clients in those patterns is to pull out and say, okay, Let's imagine for a second that your best friend came to you with this or your colleague came to you with this. What would you, what would you do? What would you tell them? Um, because we, we do have a really hard time speaking more nicely to ourselves. I mean, I even have clients and I've done this personally, write positive things on my bathroom mirror. Me too. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, look, we are built in this, you know, kind of fight or flight, fear, you know, it's like, and so we we have to reteach ourselves things and unteach ourselves things. And um and so it's okay. It's a it's a habit. It's a practice. And I think one of the things I'll just say about the about the self-talk. And then I'd love to hear you, because I know you you talk a lot about this, do a lot of work around this in the inner guidance system. So I'd love to to hear a little bit more about that. But sort of the last thing I'll say about it is that, you know, It, this is a lifelong practice and you can't start also like I think about it like weightlifting and my husband does Olympic weightlifting, and I've done a little bit of it too it's like you're not going to start with like the 50 pound weights or the 100 pound weights you know you're going to start with the 10 pound weights so where in your life where in your fundraising can you start to talk to yourself more positively and you need to build your practice there right and then you need to take on the next thing and then you need to take on the next thing and then you also need to recognize that like you're going to have some days where like you PR and you talk to yourself positively after After a really hard loss. And then there are gonna be some days where, like, the weights feel so heavy. And that's okay. You know, this is, you're building a muscle, you're building a mind muscle. Um, And so, just to give yourself the space and compassion, because I watch a lot of my clients, like, when we're, like, right when we get into this work, and I warn them it's coming, but then they start to be hard on themselves about the negative (laughs) self talk.
0: You know, I was just gonna say what you just said this this voice will never go away. like it and nor is it supposed to. It's actually helpful when you tune into it. that mm-hmm. you know it's really your conscience speaking in some ways. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, it's asking yourself, am I being authentic? Am I true to my values, my beliefs, my morals, my ethics? Am I in a line with the direction I want to go? So that voice, if you we can make it be a little bit nicer. It's helpful for sure. Yeah. So let me tell, let me speak a little bit about the inner guidance cycle. So I teach the inner guidance cycle inside of my book, Mastering Confidence, which I'll make sure I put the link in. The, the catch for us is, yeah, we have all of these inner thoughts that, that create that doubt and insecurity and hesitation and fear and, and angst. But those emotions, those feelings come from a thought. And that's what we've been talking about today is if we can slow that process down and and figure out the thoughts. So the inner guidance cycle has four parts. It's pause, and this is one of the things that we never do. We don't stop and slow down and pay attention to what's going on in our world or inside of us. So I love what you're saying, Mallory, about the conversations you have with your clients as well. So pause might be taking a deep breath and regaining your composure, you know, but it also might be reaching out and saying, I need to book a call with you, or you know, I need to, to have some time so that you create what's the second P, which is to ponder. So, mm-hmm. you know, you need to pause and then you need to start reflecting and thinking around what's going on in my head, what's going on in my body. Like the body sensations are important and they teach us something. They they tell us, like we said earlier, is that excitement or fear, or what is going on? You know, the the racing heart, the sweaty palms and pits, the, you know, all of those feelings teach us something. So when we slow down, we're pondering about those body sensations, our emotions, but also our thoughts, which are typically a judgment, an opinion, an expectation, there's something there. And so when we start to go, you know, what judgment do I have about myself or other people? What's the expectation I have here? You know, what's the lens or the filter I'm seeing this through? Well, I failed on my last three uh, prospects, so it's probably I'm on a roll here. Oh, that, is that the way I want to look at it? So it's pause, ponder. The third one is to pivot. And so that's when we start shifting our perspective. Whoa, I don't want to think that way. Thinking that way is not making me feel confident. It's not making me get out of the not enoughness, it's not helping me move there. So what thought will. Right, coming back to those judgments and those expectations, and what feeling do I want to feel? I want to feel excited. I want to feel engaged. I want to feel empowered. I want to feel connected. What's going to get you there? Well, probably rolling my shoulders back and putting a smile on my face might be a good starting point. Um, and so then we proceed. And proceed is the part that you and I have sort of hinted on it's where the courage comes in. It's the vulnerability. It's not going to be easy to get back into action and do what it is you need to do. But you got to do it. And so that's the inner guidance cycle. And then you just basically put it on repeat. And so I teach it, you know, like as they small, you can be in the middle of a conversation with a potential donor and go, Oh, shit, I'm feeling like I'm not enough here okay, is that going to get me there? No, just take a deep breath, chill out, settle down, shake it off. And you can do all of that in your head Mm -hmm. in the middle of a conversation. Or like I say, the pause can be longer where maybe you journal in the evening or you have a conversation with your coach or something like that.
1: I love that. And I just love that you have a whole program built around it because I just think the accountability piece and the partnership piece in this work, like just like with weightlifting, right? Like there's a reason people go to gyms and there's a reason you know, why people have like partners and goals around those things is because the accountability piece, especially when we get into that vulnerability um, component is just so helpful. So
0: I love that. Well, and just a side note there. So I had a conversation with my coach the other day. Yes, coaches need coaches. And, yeah, I have a difficult conversation coming up. And, you know, he helped me figure out what I needed to do to prepare. And so one of the things that I said I needed to do to prepare was to create some talking notes. And he's, and so he asked me, you know, what accountability you want? I'm like, oh, I'll, I'll let you know how things go after the call. And he's like, no, you'll send me a copy of the talking notes. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see them before you go into the mm-hmm. call. Not that he's judging them or, or reviewing them. But he's holding me accountable to be prepared because that was the key thing I wanted to do before I went into this conversation was feel prepared so that I could maintain my composure Mm -hmm. because those are all intertwined. So yeah, just a side note. Yeah. All right. Let's keep rolling. Next one. Yeah, so the last one of the four
1: is this idea of overdrive and burnout, right? So, so overdrive is, you know, when I was twenty-two or twenty-three, I had my first coach. Like I had some professional development money through an organization I worked for, and I hired my first coach. This is before coaching really was what it was today. And um and she helped me personally uncover this um, condition tendency that I had of overdrive, right? Which is very closely related to perfectionism, very closely related to not enoughness, which is that our value is tied up in how much we do, right? Every day, every minute, every whatever. And so we constantly stay in these places of overdrive to satisfy momentarily those feelings of not enoughness, right? And we keep ourselves busy. Busy and distracted, and like I have to do this or else, right? I talk a lot um, with my clients about values and um, conscious based values versus fear based values, right? We think we have our primary values. And what most people don't realize is that our values actually can come from two places that we chose them. Or that they have been ingrained in us where if we are without them, then we risk something, right? Like, so like, I better be responsible or else people won't trust me. I better be helpful or else people won't love me. And it doesn't mean that the value itself is a fear value. The values are just the values, right? But it's where does the value come from? For you, right? So you can adopt the helpful value because you want to, and, and it comes from a place of desire and alignment. But if it's coming from a place of fear, then it leads to this cycle of overdrive, of sort of constantly trying to fill these gaps we feel in ourselves, right? So, so when I think about, you know, how do you, and then this of course leads to burnout because, because nobody's overdrive is around (laughs) self-care. And then when we're burnt out, we, we can't do the other three. Right. So when we're tired, when we're burnt out, we are suppressing our emotions because it feels easier in that moment. When we are in overdrive and we are burnt out, we are leaning on perfectionism because we are too afraid of not being perfect. When we are in overdrive or or burnt out, our self-talk is horrible horrible. Right. And so it's interesting because I, you know, one of the other things I talk about a lot regarding burnout is that a lot of people go straight to time, right? They're like, oh, I'm burnt out because I'm, I'm working too many hours. Right. So if that's where you're going, whoever's listening to this, wait,
0: no, (laughs) that's not the answer. Yeah, I'm not done with you. <laughs> um, so, you know,
1: th- there are all these, which you know so well, and you and I have talked about this before, all these misconceptions of what causes burnout, right? And But what is really causing burnout is what you pointed out before, which are the thoughts and beliefs that lead to our emotions, right? Our, our, our stressed emotion, our anxiety. Those are the things that are actually leading to us feeling really burnt out. And those things are not coming from time. Time is just time. You know, I say to people all the time, I've worked 50 hour weeks where I have felt golden. I've worked 80 hour weeks where I have felt amazing. And I have worked 20 hour weeks where I have felt so burnt out. And that's because of how I was feeling during those 20 hours. And those feelings were coming directly from thoughts I was having
0: that were leading to those feelings. I I hope people understand why you and I are like connected. Like, (laughs) I mean, for those of you who follow you or me and know what we're talking about, they're like, Oh my God, these two are speaking my language the same. So when you were talking about values, I teach a course in my membership called values verification, because this is so important. You have to understand your values. Your values is not a word. Mm -hmm. And so for me, one of my values is excellence. You can overuse skills and strengths and values. So when I overuse excellence, it becomes perfectionism. Mm -hmm. And when I do that, The other thing you said earlier, part of what we do, and this sort of comes back to the need to tune in and and figure things out, is we keep busy to avoid what's really going on. And so at the time when I was in a leadership position, so, you know, I remember one particular morning working on a big proposal, struggling with time, and I'm, for those of you listening, though, that's air quote time. And so what did I do? I got up at four o'clock in the morning and, you know, did, worked on this. What was also going on was my marriage was falling apart. I was having some parenting issues. My health was not very good, but I didn't want, like I had blinders on. I'm too busy. I'm too busy. I got so much to do. There's so many demands on me at work and and I didn't want to see what was going on in the rest of my world because I couldn't cope with all of that mm-hmm. because my belief was I need to be, have a perfect marriage. So I certainly don't want to admit to anyone that things aren't so rosy. I was teaching parenting programs, so I better have perfect children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> and, and yeah, I crash and burn. Yeah. Like, it doesn't work. Yeah. And
1: you just highlighted all the things suppressing emotions, expectations of yourself in your marriage and your parent, how, and as a parent, how you were talking to yourself, right? It's like this is just the formula. And we've all been there. I oh, mean, without a doubt. Yeah. So, all the listeners. Yeah. No, exactly. And we're, and, and we can still end up there in moments. Like, I love your, the for the cycle, right? The inner guidance cycle, right? Because, That really does feel like the key to not kind of falling back in, you know, to these patterns that and these habits that are so ingrained in so many of us.
0: Well, and I think you talk about habits a lot as well. And I think that's the key for everything is create systems so that you're becoming more aware of what's going on in your thoughts. Mm -hmm. If these if these things are causing you to feel that not enoughness and you're dreading fundraising or you're dreading having that conversation with somebody you supervise, or you're just burning out, you gotta create some systems where you create the habits, whether that's a habit of talking to a coach re- regularly, habit of pausing and going for a walk every day, habit of doing some journaling, whatever it is that you need to create to tune in. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I love, I love that because I think, you know, fundraisers in the nonprofit sector are like the most burnt out group of people, you know, with the most, the most turnover and the most, and, but they aren't necessarily, actually, I'm kind of speaking off the cuff here and should do a little research before I say this publicly, but I'm gonna say it anyways. I don't think that that, ha- that that is a time thing. Like I don't oh. think fundraisers are fund- are working longer hours than program directors or you know things like that. So so this is just such an important proof point in how burnout is not about time. It's about how you're feeling. And so if you're if like what, like with all these other things we're talking about with fundraising like if your thought cycle is around perfectionism if you're expectations of yourself is are that you never make a mistake if your self-talk is oh that person didn't respond to my email so I must have made a mistake like I'm exhausted just saying those
0: things. Yeah, yeah, exactly all right so we could talk forever <laughs> recap for everybody just pull it all together Yeah. So,
1: you know, we are talking about this idea of overcoming not enoughness. And so we started with identifying like four of the primary things that trigger this feeling of not enoughness, suppressing emotions, expectations, negative self-talk, and overdrive and burnout. And some of the key strategies that we identified on this call is like for suppressing emotions, it's Find find your tribe to talk to. Maybe that's inside your organization. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's a coach. Maybe it's a membership program. Maybe it's your other fundraising friends. But like find your people, right, who you can be talking about how you're feeling with them. The other is expectations and focusing on authenticity, recognizing that authenticity and perfectionism are in direct conflict. You can be one of those two things. And if you want to be a good fundraiser, you need to be authentic. So I hope that answers your question. <laughs> The third one is the self-talk, right? The doubt, hesitation, recognizing that it's there, that you are talking to yourself and then pulling yourself out of it and talking to your, like whatever story you're dealing with. Asking yourself, what would I say to a friend who brought this to me? Or something I do um, with clients is when they have a whole story about how something unfolded is I'll have them write that the whole their whole initial story on one side of a page. And then on the other side, I have them write the exact opposite story, right? That's another way to sort of switch the narrative, switch the self-talk for the moment. And then the other thing around self-talk is just recognizing that it's a practice that you need to stay committed to and a muscle that you're building. And then the overdrive and burnout is one, recognizing that that is coming from one through three. (laughs) And so the more attention you can pay to those things, the more it's going to help those feelings of burnout. And then to tap into... What do you need to take care of yourself? You know, I, fundraising in particular is all about how, I mean, leadership in general, right? Is all about how you're showing up. Like great leaders are not great leaders because of how many hours they work a week. It's how it's, you know, it's how they are interacting with the people around them. And um, and you can only do that if you, if your cup feels full. Yes. And so figuring out what you need to pour from a full cup is really critical. And, you know, if I was running an organization right now with a bunch of fundraisers, I don't care if they work 10 hours a week or 40 hours a week, if they're getting their work done and if they can do what they need in 10 hours a week and take care of themselves those other 30 hours so that they are on fire those 10 hours a week. You know, people always ask me like how much can be raised by this many hours a week. And it's like, those things depend on two things your list, you know, your pipeline, and the energy of your fundraiser, like the in, inner energy, you know. So um, yeah, so take care of yourselves, you guys. No one is going to set those boundaries
0: for you. It has to come from you. Zest is one of the things that shows up on the Virtues in Action Character Strengths as, as character strengths. And it is one of the ones most highly correlated with happiness, success, and achievement. Mm. it's also one of the ones most least endorsed wow so zest is feeling energy and enthusiasm yeah i love but but we don't endorse it we don't promote it i mean you've never taken training that says okay before you can have the energy to do this you got to create that for yourself but I digress. I know Mallory's the that. one that. I
1: love that. You know, it's interesting. I, I have a guided visualization for my clients before they go into donor meetings and it's sort of all about helping them shift into that energy. So yeah. that, I love
0: that. Cool. Okay. So if we keep talking, we're going to have to turn this into a two-part <laughs> podcast. <laughs> for those of you listening, uh, Mallory, tell them where they can find you and and what you've got coming up soon. Yes. So you can find me
1: over at malloryerickson.com. And you can find me on Instagram. Send me a DM on Instagram. If you're listening to this, I would love to meet you and get to know you. You can DM me Mallory underscore Erickson underscore coach. Um, and, uh, And I'd love to connect with you. Power Partners is launching in January of 2021, the Power Partners formula. This is something that I have been hired to do like one-on-one with clients for a long time with a very big ticket price, and I have finally finally built a program that is self-guided with support with, from me along the way um, to be able to move through exactly the system that I take organizations through to identify their power partners, what the right asks are for those partners, exactly how you get in front of them without hounding them, and um, and then how to make the ask and what that looks like without the like 12 to 18 months, like cultivation, wait, all of that. BS that we've all been told. There's a totally different way to do it. It really works. You can watch my webinar about that at malloryerickson.com backslash free. Um, And I'm excited to hear from you. Shoot me that DM. I'd love to connect.
0: So I will put all of those links in the show notes so you don't miss them. Make sure, I mean, if you want Mallory whispering in your ear, sign up because you can hear the energy and enthusiasm that she brings and I think that's, again, one of the things that we talked about in the strategies is you need someone on your side. You need someone in your team. So find your person and, and yeah, let them support you. Follow the, the the guidance that they give you so that you can really get out of this overcoming not enoughness and learn to thrive in both your leadership and life. Go make the rest of your day awesome. If you found today's episode helpful, then you are going to love the training library. Many women leaders in nonprofits wish that they had a coach or a mentor to help them, but they don't believe that they or their organization can afford it. Oh, but you can. Inside of the training library membership site, you will not only get access to affordable and easily accessible ongoing personal and professional development training, you will also have access to a leadership coach at your fingertips. That way, when you hit those inevitable challenges that leadership will bring your way, you'll have both the resources and the support to navigate your way through them with confidence, composure, and while keeping your integrity intact. To find out more, head to kathyarcher.com slash library. If you are enjoying the show, I'd love it if you could leave me a comment or a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Go make the rest of your day awesome.